and welcome to episode 68 of the Brew Who podcast. Um, I am Kyle Carr, and I wanted to give a brief introduction into everything. Obviously, this past week has been a monumental week for Milwaukee Bucks basketball. Um, they won a couple games earlier in the week, but the bigger story was their strike and refusing to play in the initial game five and deciding to go on strike. And when they went on strike, they had a list of demands and it shook up the whole league because not only other NBA games to go on strike, but also Major League Baseball, the Milwaukee Brewers followed suit. Major League Soccer had some of their um, matches postponed in solidarity. And even for me locally, four Madison FC decided to postpone their game. That was supposed to be on Sunday. So it's definitely been felt around the league. And it's one of those things that I think this was more important to talk about. Obviously, the Bucks did win on Saturday, which was a good thing, and they won Series 4-1. to But we're going to uh, specifically talk about this strike and the impact of it and some of what's going on. So thankfully, Adam has joined us as well. But we also have a guest, and we are going to have Dan Schaefer, who is the writer for the Recombobulation area, which I just want to say, one of the favorite things I've ever heard. And for those that aren't aware of it, the Recombobulation area, Famous in the General Mitchell International Airport in Milwaukee. So, Dan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, hey guys, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. No problem, no problem. So, yeah, we wanted to have you on just because you have been very involved in the Milwaukee pol- politics and also being a Bucks fan yourself. So it was kind of a nice combination of the two worlds. But if you could just kind of give us a brief outline of who you are, what you've done, and I guess how we've gotten to this point. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, definitely been a week where uh, of of worlds colliding. Uh, you know, I write a weekly political column uh, that I uh, founded and self produce called the Recombobulation Area. Uh, as you mentioned, the Recombobulation Area is named after the uh, one of a kind place in uh, Milwaukee's airport. Uh, <laughs> where uh, you go after you go through security. There's no other place like it. Recombobulation, area. Recombobulation is not a real word, uh, which is why I love it. Um, so I started that about uh, about a year ago, uh, and I've been a journalist in and around Milwaukee for the better part of the last decade. I've worked at um, Biz Times, Milwaukee Magazine, Milwaukee Business Journal, I freelanced for just about every other publication um, in the city. Uh, you know, some of some Bucks fans might know some of my work from about uh, you know four or five years ago now, when the arena fight was going on. I was covering that in in great detail at the time, um, and then uh, you know since I, I moved to Seattle and since I've moved back, I've been doing my own thing, uh, writing more as an opinion columnist. Um, and as an opinion columnist for the, for the past year, there's been no shortage, no shortage of things to write about in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and more often, and a, a frequent topic that I have been writing about because it is so important and it's because it is in such a spotlight, um, is the Wisconsin state legislature. And so as, you know, George Hill and Sterling Brown read the statement on Wednesday afternoon, calling into um, calling out the Wisconsin State Legislature for their inaction. Uh, I heard that I was 
you know, almost jumping up and down because it's exactly what I've been, uh, what I've been writing about, what I've been tweeting about, what I've been covering these past few months um, as we are experiencing this simultaneous pandemic recession, historic protest movement. Um, And in that time, the Wisconsin state legislature has not passed a bill in more than 135 days. They have not met in session to debate a bill uh, since April 15th. For some context for basketball fans here, that is before The Last Dance aired. So that was a while ago. Um, So they're calling out this inaction, and that is inaction not only on issues of police accountability and law enforcement reform uh, that has been in the spotlight, obviously, for the past week here, um, but that's inaction for everything that's across the board in action on on COVID response, on the economy, on unemployment, on everything. Um, So it's, uh, it's something I, like I mentioned, I've been, I've been writing about a lot. um, And I was really encouraged to see, uh, see the Bucks highlight that as part of, uh, part of their message. Yeah, it was definitely when I when they called that out specifically that caught my attention because I think a lot of people were wondering what the statement was going to be and what was going on because during that time there wasn't much background of what was going on when the players didn't show up. So it was definitely when they called out Boston Fitzgerald specifically, it was I was very happy because I just despise both of them. So but Adam, for you, obviously you're in Philadelphia, so you haven't been around Wisconsin as much. So what were your thoughts on the strike when you're first hearing about it? Uh it's interesting. Yeah, like you said, I mean I'm certainly not as not as plugged into Wisconsin politics are going on as I as I used to be. I think it was it, it I think for a lot of people probably like a lot of people, it was a, a, a flooding over me of of emotions, kind of like you know, you're in that, you're in that state where you realize something kind of historic, you know, not just kind of, but is historic is happening and you're not quite sure how to process it. Um, I, I think that was, I, I was just overcome like a lot of people, I think with pride for the Bucks for coming out and, and making this statement and not willing to come out on the court. And I, I think the more the details have trickled out, the more amazing I think it is uh, just in its statement based on, it sounded like George Hill, decided he wasn't going to play that day. And then from there, it kind of snowballed. And I don't know, I think that that was probably the coolest thing is seeing how the entire team rallied behind them, Kyle. And then obviously that spread to other sports as well. Yeah, I kind of like what I mentioned. It was, I didn't know what initially was going on because as it comes out, it's really only the players and the coaches that knew. The front office didn't know. The Orlando Magic didn't know. So to have them do that, and for context, there really hasn't been something to this effect. I mean, there have been strikes and there has been, you know, non-playing, whether it's the NFL or Major League Baseball. But really, for the only time that you can think of where something like this, it's more of a sudden change was in 1964 for the All-Star game in the NBA. And then in 1968, Major League Baseball decided they were not going to play for Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral. So there really isn't much that anyone has ever done in terms of we're just not going to play. And it was a last minute decision and the Bucks were willing to take a forfeit. And when you think about it, it's a playoff game. Yes, they're still up three to two, but at the same time, if you're willing to just automatically take a loss, it definitely is something to stand out. And um, one of the things that I 
notice and when it was also being reported was the Bucks were deciding to talk to Josh Call, who's the Wisconsin Attorney General, Mandela Barnes, who's the Lieutenant Governor. So, Dan, what were your thoughts when, in terms of how the Bucks went about contacting those two and just how they handled everything when when we really didn't know what was going on? Right. Yeah. I mean, from all the reporting I've seen, it seems like it was it was an emotional decision. Um, you know, I think we all saw the interview with George Hill earlier in the week. Um, and, you know, he really being the catalyst in all of this, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, like, like you said, it wasn't this kind of pre-planned thing. It was something that happened in the backyard of where they play, you know, the, the shooting in Kenosha. Um, and so they obviously had an emotional reaction to that. And, and uh, I think as we all did, um, and, you know, I think it was a really powerful moment to just kind of let that emotional reaction lead, which I think is what, you know, Hill was quoted as saying, or I don't know if it was quoted or, or reported somewhere, but as saying, you know, he wasn't trying to push anything on anybody. He was just going to decide not to play that day. Um, and then things kind of domino affected from there and then the rest of the team. So I think, you know, um, I think it was just such a powerful decision that they made. Um, and the way that they, you know, kind of came out and, and presented their statement and said, this is what we have to say. Um, it just made it that much more powerful because they clearly put some real thought into it and wanted to call some people who were directly involved with the decision-making and who were um, people in positions of power who they could get on the phone. Um, and so I'm sure there's, you know, a lot that happened in that room that, uh, that, uh, um, it was, you know, a powerful and emotional scene, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, you know, they came out of it and they stood proudly and, 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 uh, said what they had to say. And I think we're already seeing, um, you know, in terms of the league wide push to turn arenas into polling places, um, you know, we're, we're seeing movement. I don't, I don't know if we're seeing the movement that everybody wants to see immediately, but we're seeing something. Yeah, it's definitely one of the, they had a players meeting and decided with the league on mainly three action items, one of them being that any city where the league franchise owns and controls the arena property, um, the teams were gonna host those as in-person voting locations for the 2020 general election, which, can specifically be really helpful with the size of those places it can allow that even though with COVID still out there it can give them more of a chance to have a more socially distant way of doing it um the other thing is the nba and his players will have immediately established a social justice coalition with representatives from players coaches and the governors and that can cover a broad range of issues like access to voting promoting civic engagement trying to make sure there's meaningful police and criminal justice reform and then the third thing was that the league will work with the players and the other network partners to create and include advertising spots in the remaining playoff games dedicated to promoting a greater civic engagement. Um, kind of already we're doing parts of that with letting players have, you know, a name or a cause on, the, on their jerseys. They had Black Lives Matter on the court, but it's definitely something that, to me, Adam, that's three things that they were able to agree on relatively quickly um, considering they had a players meeting that Wednesday night 
And then Thursdays when some of this news started coming out in terms of plans and what to do moving forward. So what were your thoughts on all of that that happened? Well, I think, you know, like, like Dan was saying, it seemed like an incredibly emotional moment inside that, inside that locker room. And so I, I was just really impressed that they were able to, you know, compose themselves and think, okay, well, what do we want to get out of this? You know, take the extra time. I know there was like a report, they were going to make a statement, but then it wasn't until about an hour later um, that the statement actually, that they read their statement. Um, so it was just really impressive on all of their parts to sort of, you know, come up with an idea for what it is they really want to see. Um, and then, like you said, this, this plan really came together quickly with the league for, you know, action items that the players can expect them to move on quickly. I think the polling places one is, is obviously the, that's the one that's sort of easiest to wrap your head around given it's, it's the most concrete. Um, and the Bucks were already planning on um, using Pfizer forum as a, a polling location. But um, I, I, I think given, you know, I'd be interested, Dan, there was a lot of, you, you know, coverage over the, um, the April elections that went on in Wisconsin, um, the, you know, short you shrinking of polling places in Milwaukee, uh, you know, obviously Pfizer forum was maybe already going to be a polling place, but what kind of impact do you think um, uh, something like that, you know, expanding access to voting would have uh, in the Milwaukee area? I think it definitely can have a big impact. Uh, and I think as, as far as I know, Miller Park uh, is going to be going to have some component of uh, a, a polling place there as well. Um, so I think, you know, getting people engaged with the process and getting people to the polls and uh, making that an easier process, uh, especially given the challenges of the pandemic, I think is an incredibly encouraging thing. Um, and you know, more, the turnout in Milwaukee County in the last election was down significantly. Um, so from 2012 to 2016, turnout in Milwaukee County dropped more than any other county in the state. And so it was seven, seven and a half percent went down. And uh, obviously that makes a huge difference. You lose, you know, seven, seven and a half percent of voters in the most populous county in the state and in a state that regularly decides presidential elections with within less than one percent which has happened three times in the last 20 years that's gonna you know that's gonna make an impact um and the more people you get to the polls the better better your and more healthy your democracy is um and so by opening up the process making that you know planning ahead to to create a safe environment uh for people to vote instead of kind of haphazardly uh, doing so, as we saw in April, um, it's going to make a big difference. It's going to allow people to go to the polls uh, who may not have otherwise. You know, a lot of people in April had to make the decision between, you know, exercising their right to vote and protecting their own health. Um, and I think, you know, we saw lots of stories come out in the in the weeks that followed that you know, people who had health conditions chose not to go to the polls because they didn't want to risk it. Um, and because of, there were so many issues with absentee ballots, maybe this with Pfizer Forum, with Miller Park, with other places being open in a planned, safe environment and can get more people to the polls, get more people engaged in the process. And, and that can only be a good thing. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I remember in April with everything that was going on and I mean, there was back and forth on if there was going to be an election or not. And I mean, I was lucky enough that I was able to send an absentee ballot, but it's also 
kind of tough where if people don't know about getting those absentee ballots, then they might miss the deadline or they might not understand how where do they need to send it out. And it does make it tough where you're put in a position of, do I risk my health to put in this vote? And especially it's April. So weather-wise, you might also have to face that factor. I think it was storming that day as well. Yeah, there were people walking. <laughs> In, in thunderstorms outside. So when you're adding that risk to it, of you're in a thunderstorm, maybe get struck by lightning, maybe get a cold after it, and then you still have this COVID situation. And now with Miller Park, with vice reform, it's going to be November, it's going to be cold, but hopefully this at least gives people more confidence to feel safe when they're voting. I think with everyone deciding with the mask mandate, how long that is still in effect, we don't know. But I think between a safer place to vote and the mask mandate. I think those are going to be some of the changes that will help. Um, and yeah, especially in Milwaukee County where between the, it's kind of like them and Dane County are the two where if they hold strong, then the state normally goes more on the liberal side. And then you still have some other pockets where it's kind of a toss up. So I know at least the DNC will be hoping and trying their best to get that happening as well. But one of the things I also wanted to mention with those with the players meeting is that Wednesday night, it seems like as more reports come out, there are definitely players that were upset with the Bucks deciding to go on the strike on the last minute and not consult with anyone. Um, most notably, it seems like LeBron James was one of the main people that was unhappy with it, even though it sounds like the players did support it, but there are definitely those that were not happy with the way it went about. And then when the league did a vote on whether to continue play or end the playoffs, only the Los Angeles Clippers and Lakers had decided to just end the season. So did that stand out to either of you in terms of how now all these reports of how the players reacted or the teams reacting? Was there anything that stood out to either of you about that? You know, I was, I guess I was a little surprised that there was some of that chatter coming out of the players meeting. Um, maybe not too surprised given they all kind of went down there under with the understanding that they would be able to use their concerted effort together to make a more powerful statement. And so when it, you know, when one team is doing it and it looks a little uh, like it's all sort of just coming together real quickly and it's not one concerted effort, I can, I can be somewhat sympathetic to that, but uh, I, I felt a lot more strongly about uh, some of the statements that have come after, I, I think Wes Matthews, um, you know, said some really powerful stuff about how sometimes you need to just act for change. Um, and, you know, it changes and always, you know, planned out. Sometimes it has to be organic. Um, I, I guess I, I was very much along those those sentiments that um, I think the Bucks, you know, just given the tenor in that locker room, it felt like it was sort of a snowball effect. Um, and I, I was glad to see the, the players all, you know, if it sleep on it and then all seem to come together so that the next day they seem to all be have behind, you know, the one, one concerted effort. What about you, Dan? Yeah. I, it's, it's super interesting to see kind of the mechanics of all of this. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you also heard some reports, I think of Jalen Brown in particular, kind of standing up for the bucks and standing up for the decision that they made. Um, and I thought that was really encouraging to see because, you know, this happened in the bucks backyard and they've been, they have not exactly been a quiet franchise on, on these issues. Um, and, you know, coming from Sterling Brown, who he himself being a victim of police brutality in Milwaukee. Um, I think, you know, this, this all happening right down the road in Kenosha, the Bucks 
are the team that should be leading the charge on this. Um, and, you know, I, I was thinking about this too with, with Sterling Brown and George Hill kind of being the main guys leading this. They're both from the Midwest. So George Hill's from Indianapolis. Sterling Brown's from the Chicago area. You know, they have experienced, you know, what it's like to, to grow up in this part of the country being a black man. And they have experiences to speak to what's happening in their backyard in, in Minneapolis, in Milwaukee, in Kenosha, um, that some other people might not. Um, and I think that's a powerful thing, too. Yeah, I was going to say it was interesting when Giannis was interviewing and it was mentioned that when he first came over as a rookie, Karan Butler, who grew up in Racine, so another Midwest guy, was trying to tell Giannis, like, hey, if you're walking on the street, make sure to have your hood down and, like, here are some things to watch out for. And Giannis was completely caught off guard. He's like, wait, why would that matter? And I think that's kind of something that for a lot, for a good chunk of these players, you know, whether they are in the Midwest or in the South or Northeast or the West, it's still with Black players, they, they've gone through not only being profiled, but also having to have those thoughts in the back of their head. And, you know, you always hear about players where their parents or a sibling or someone's always just telling them, make sure to be careful and make sure to be careful. And, you know, when you have someone like Giannis coming over and Giannis was going through a different hardship as well. I mean, he was probably facing some form of racial harassment being a black man in Greece, but it wasn't to the same degree that it is in America. So I think it was interesting in that aspect. And yeah, like you mentioned, Dan, with having Sterling Brown and George Hill being the two that lead it, it did seem fitting um, just with having two guys from Midwest and Sterling Brown in particular. He's been through something like this and he's still pushing, still fighting the Milwaukee uh, police department about it. But when Milwaukee Bucks decided to tell the state to take action, it uh, looks like they've gotten some things in motion because of it. So um, Dan, if you want to explain kind of some of the things that Milwaukee and I guess the state of Wisconsin have been trying to plan in terms of Evers calling special sessions and stuff like that. Sure. So, so Friday after the, um, after the Bucks protest, after, you know, a kind of a day of silence uh, from everybody on Thursday, um, the Senate majority leader, Scott Fitzgerald released a statement saying that they were going to open the session. I think a lot of people took that as, Hey, the Bucks made this immediate impact. So I'm going to rewind back to Monday. Monday, less than 24 hours after Jacob Blake was shot by Kenosha police, Governor Evers called a special session on police accountability and reform. So this, the wheels were already in motion for this special session before the Bucks held their protest on Wednesday. So uh, as is often the case in the state legislature, there's some conflict between uh, leaders like Fitzgerald and Assembly Speaker Robin Voss with Governor Evers. Um, so there was, you know, some back and forth about what was going to happen with this special session. And the state legislature under their leadership has done basically, they're, they're required by law to open the special session, but they're not required by law to do anything. So what they have done in the past with special sessions that Evers has called is they'll gavel into the session, say, okay, the session is open. And then seconds later they say, okay, the session is closed and gavel out. 
They did that last fall when Governor Evers called a special session on gun violence prevention to advance some bills on background checks and a red flag bill um, for uh, gun violence prevention. And they also did the same when Governor Evers called a special session to um, move or make changes to the April 7th election that we had been talking about. Um, so the expectation, as it has been since, you know, the, the issues of police brutality and accountability have been raised in these last few months, uh, is the, the expectation, as I reported in June, is that they would gavel in and gavel out of a special session on law enforcement reform again. Uh, you know, in the immediate wake of the murder of George Floyd, I talked to State Senator Latanya Johnson, who represents Milwaukee. And she is one of the co-sponsors of um, a package of bills that has sat on the shelf for three years uh, about law enforcement reform. She and a number of other Democratic legislatures, legislators wrote these bills uh, after doing some research and a, a long process um, in response to the killings of Dontra Hamilton in Milwaukee and Tony Robinson in Madison which happened in 2014 and 2015. So these bills have been in process for quite a long time and Republican leadership has ignored them for quite a long time. Uh, the bill, the bills were first introduced in 2017. So after the, uh, after the killing of George Floyd, uh, you know, the Johnson and some of the other democratic legislatures, legislators said, Hey, let's, let's bring these back. Let's bring these to the floor. Let's vote on them. Uh, Tony Evers said the same on one particular bill. Um, and then uh, a few weeks later, uh, on Juneteenth, had asked the Republican leadership to say, hey, we want to come this come at this in a bipartisan way. We don't want issues of, of race and police accountability to be strictly partisan. We want you to come to the table. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes was part of that push as well. But they did not call a special session. So I think a lot of people were hoping that they would call a special session. The, le the Legislative Black Caucus in Wisconsin, all Democrats, uh, were asking for Evers to call a special session. He didn't. Um, so that brings us to this past week when he did call the special session. It was on those same bills that he had, you know, opened up to the leg to, to the Republicans to kind of discuss at that time. So coming back to Friday's statement from Fitzgerald. And stop me at any point if this is getting a little bit too <laughs> garbled and confusing. But um, uh, coming back to Friday's statement, so he said that they would open the session that Evers called for, and they are legally required to open this session. Um, but it sounds like what's going to happen, based on reporting from Wisconsin Public Radio, and I think some back and forth on Twitter with the Brew Hoop account, uh, uh, it sounds like what's going to happen is going. they're going to gavel in and go home. So I think people who are expecting to see bills, a vote on any of these police accountability bills or even debate on these police accountability bills are going to be disappointed uh, because I think the expectation is, and I think you know, somebody from Fitzgerald's staff was, was quoted in Wisconsin Public Radio as saying, you know, this is a procedural measure. Um, so I think what's going to happen on Monday 
is there Fitzgerald and the Senate leadership are going to, going to gavel into the session and they probably will not do anything further than that. Um, so they, it won't be a full gavel in gavel out the way we've seen with some of these others, but I think it's going to be a gavel in and go home. Yeah, that's pretty much been their MO since Evers was elected, unfortunately. And I actually wanted to ask, because I know you were out in Seattle, and is this, is what's going on in Wisconsin, is that something that's more like a one-off Wisconsin situation and it's kind of rare, or is this something that you see in other locations, primarily something that you may have noticed in Seattle as well? Uh, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to compare, um, I'd, I'd say one thing, though, is that the Wisconsin state legislature has more power than perhaps the, the Washington state legislator, legislature does, mm-hmm. um, just with the way that the, you know, kind of the way the government is structured in Wisconsin gives the Wisconsin state legislature a lot of power. Um, so I think, you know, in Seattle, you know, main, I was mainly on, writing on some other issues out there, uh, but things like transit, like Seattle was able to make their own decisions on that. And Milwaukee is not really able to without the help of the state legislature, for example. Um, so a lot of these reforms need to happen at the state level um, because it's it's just the way the law is structured in Wisconsin that is doesn't allow for the kind of local control that, uh, that some might want to see. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess with this session, that'll probably just be gaveled in, but not much will happen. What are some of the things that people, whether they're in Wisconsin or out of Wisconsin can do um, to try and keep that message going and they keep these people accountable? I think people need to continue to, to contact their legislators to let them know that uh, they want to see these bills debated and passed. Um, and they want to see action from the people that they elected to put in office to take action. Um, you know, it's a strange thing also with the way this, this, the, the legislature works where they're, when they're not in a, the general session, they're not legally required to do anything. And so that's why part of the reason we've seen this in action these past few months is because they're not, they don't have to show up. Um, so like the, the governor can compel them to show up with the special session the legislature can call what's called an extraordinary session to, to show up and debate certain bills as well. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, to keep the pressure on, to keep the legislature working uh, is going to be really important as we go forward. Um, and also, you know, there's an election coming up and every seat in the assembly is on the ballot. So, no matter where you are in the state of Wisconsin, there is going to be an election for state assembly. Now, some of those might be might be running and opposed. You know, some of those may have been already decided in the primary, like you saw in Madison, Milwaukee, and, and some other districts. Um, but every seat is on the ballot, and you know whether you're new to understanding the the state legislature or if you've been reading about it for years, I think this is a, a crystallizing moment for what the people in power in the legislature stand for. And if they stand for continued inaction, then it's going to be on the people to show up in November to let them know that they won't stand for that. Um, and so I think, you know, Brew Hoop published a piece saying to contact 
Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, and Assembly Majority Leader Jim Steinecke. Those are all people that you should be contacting if you want to see these bills move forward. But I think you should also look in your backyard too, no matter where you are in Wisconsin, uh, to contact your assembly representative, contact your state senator, um, you know, uh, keep pushing things forward. For sure. And even and for those that are not in Wisconsin, still the same thing kind of applies where you just got to vote and pay attention to your local elections as well. So Adam, I don't know if you had anything that you wanted to add before we transition over to a short preview of this year's against Miami Heat. Yeah, I guess I was just, I would say I'm, 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 I'm one of those people who hasn't read much about the Wisconsin state legislature. So like Dan, just briefly, like how, when, it, when would they normally be in, in session? Um, just for anyone who doesn't really necessarily know that. So it, it normally coincides kind of with the budget cycle. Um, so like every two years, they'll start a new session. Um, they're required by law to meet uh, at least once a year uh, in, in January. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a story that I wrote back in March that seems like several lifetimes ago that it was, uh, it was about. It was the last story I published before uh, we went into kind of like the emergency stage of the pandemic. And it was about how the state legislature had been planning to take a nine month break. So they had not passed a great deal of bills uh, in this, this session, which to a certain extent is to be expected when you have divided government, when you have Republicans in the legislature and a, a Democrat in the executive branch, they're obviously not going to agree, Consider, especially considering how polarized Wisconsin is. Um, but, uh, you know, they were still planning, there were still a lot of bills on the table even before this pandemic recession protest movement uh, that they, the Republicans were planning to ignore. Um, and so I think Evers, some of the legislative Democrats uh, were, were trying to push things forward. Um, and uh, and um, so it, it, it's a... So even going back to that, they were planning on not doing a whole lot, um, which is, a, it's just a strange thing uh, that they can, they can be that inactive for that long. But if you look through the history of it, you know, election years are not years where a lot of legislating gets done in Wisconsin, presidential election years, that is. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like even last year, they were still meeting very infrequently, but, I think everyone that has been following the pol political scene in Wisconsin kind of had an idea this would likely happen since the 2018 election, in which right after Tony Evers won, that's when the lame duck, you know, stuff was starting to come about where they're trying to strip Evers and Attorney General Josh Carl's power. So I think even back in the fall of 2018, you kind of saw there was definitely going to be a lot of distant and kind of a non-relationship between the legislature and the executive branch. So it, it's definitely weird and yeah, contact as many people as you can, I guess, is my parting message. <laughs> and I think just, just uh, I think it's important to, if you're, if you're coming fresh to the Wisconsin state legislature, you know, any extra attention, fresh eyes on what they're doing is is going to 
help people see what kind of damage that they've done. Um, you know, it's it, you you can take any number of issues that they like that they have control over. Um, you know, another one for for Milwaukee that they have control over is whether Milwaukee is able to raise its sales tax. Um, so a lot of people want like like County Executive David Crowley in Milwaukee has talked about the need for new funding sources, especially with uh, with what's happening in COVID. Uh, you know, the, Milwaukee can't do that on its own. It needs the state state legislature to be able to to make that decision. Um, and so, so many of these issues are so intertwined. I think the more people recognize what's going on in the state legislature, um, the the healthier we'll be in in kind of understanding what the what the issues are, what the problems are, what people need to be paying attention to. And you know, like I said, with the election coming up. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're in, if you live in the Milwaukee suburbs, there's a lot of districts that are real swing districts in places like Wauwatosa, places like Southern Ozaukee County. Uh, you know, some of these districts that have gone from red to blue and blue to red over the past few elections are going to be extremely important. Uh, and so if, if you're in those districts, um, you know, look up those races, pay attention to them. I'll be writing about them these next few months too. So. Perfect. Yep. Make sure to read the recombobulation area. Um, like I said, Dan does great work on it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will briefly talk about Orlando's Milwaukee closing out the series against Orlando and the Miami Heat series that is upcoming. So stay tuned. 3740. Okay. All right. And we are back. So yes, on Saturday, afternoon Milwaukee Bucks were able to close out the Orlando Magic in the rescheduled game five with a 118-104 win with that they are going to face the Miami Heat and game one will start actually probably later tonight if you're listening to this on Monday uh, 5 30 central um what were your guys' thoughts on the Orlando series in general I know Adam and I we talked about it last week about some things that were concerning but Milwaukee at that point had at least started to turn around um, but is there anything from your you two, your two's perspective about the Orlando series that Milwaukee should look on as a positive or and some things that they should be concerned about heading into Miami? You guys are going to let me talk some hoops, too? This is exciting. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle gets to hear me all the time, so I'm interested in what you, you, you think, Dan. Okay. Um, great. Well, uh, I think uh, I think it's going to be a really fun series against the Heat. Uh, do you want to talk about the Heat first or the Magic first? I'm sorry. We can briefly touch on the Magic. I feel like there's okay. not much that needs to be said for that one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like as soon as they at any point where they really were taking things seriously, it was not a particularly close matchup. Uh, and I think people, have, a lot of people have talked about what's really concerning. Uh, a lot of people have focused on the defense. I'm a little bit more fo- concerned about the offense. I'm a little more concerned about finding that consistent third scorer. So it's not so much on Giannis and Middleton. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, it's a, I'm more concerned about the offense because as we saw with Chris Middleton at times when he is bad, Milwaukee's offense can't do much of anything. And with Miami heat, they're most likely going to put up a wall that was better than anything Orlando tried doing. And they got guys like Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and James Johnson. They have guys that can 
stay with Giannis as best as they can. So it'll be interesting to see who that third scorer will be. We thought it could be Brooke Lopez just based off of how he was playing in the bubble. Uh, maybe it's Eric Bledsoe. He might have a little bit of a better matchup uh, this time around. I am concerned about the turnovers um, just because that's, I think, where Miami, they're going to want to slow the pace down significantly. So anytime you have those possessions, you're going to have to take full advantage of it. And I think careless turnovers are going to be a huge problem for Milwaukee if they get careless with the ball. Yeah, I I think the number one question going into the second round series is 100% still going to be Chris Middleton, uh, annoyingly. He's such an easy target, but... You know, he just hasn't played like he did in the regular season. You know, that's that's about as simple as you can get it. He didn't really play like he has in the regular season so far. He's going to face much stiffer defenders in the second round. Uh, I'm excited for him to rekindle his rivalry with Jimmy Butler in the second round. Um, if anyone remembers a couple years ago, I think it might have been like a – I think it was a playoff game where he slammed the ball uh, right over Jimmy Butler's face, which was fantastic because Chris Middleton doesn't slam it very much, um, but that was a great play. So I, I'm 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 with you, Dan, that the offense is probably going to be uh, a big question. And I think especially if you just sort of go down the line, you look at what the team was like last year, you have, you know, Giannis top dog, Chris Middleton played really well, um, and then you hope it's Eric bled so last year but he was kind of iffy so brooke lopez has had to pick that up but you don't have a guy like malcolm brogdon eventually coming in who you know is sort of raising the floor uh of your team so you're gonna need guys like george hill pat Connaughton, uh maybe dante to try and contribute consistently so uh i i feel like that that sort of second wave of the bucks is gonna have to be even better this next round especially given how deep the the, the heat are as well yeah, and for context, Milwaukee has played the Heat three times this year. Um, Miami won two of them. The first one was an overtime win against the Bucks back in October. Milwaukee had a significant lead in which they lost, so that was unfortunate. The second game was not too long before everything shut down, but that was a ugly 105-89 loss that the Bucks suffered. Offensively, they were just lost. And then the third game was in the bubble in which Milwaukee won 130 to 116. Granted, Miami did not have Goran Dragic or Jimmy Butler, and Milwaukee had needed a substantial comeback in the second half. So Miami seems to be the team, the hot team that everyone wants to pick as beating the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm sure there's going to be some analysts in the national media that are going to pick Miami. Um, I think I look at it this way. If you can contain Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Dunn, and Tyler Hero, you could win the series because if those those three in particular, because of how well they've been shooting the ball and how frequently they shoot the ball, they're kind of the ones where if those shots fall, then Milwaukee's in a lot of trouble. Yeah, who are you? Uh, who are you most worried about next round, Dan? Again, with the Heat, who are you? Who who like troubles you the most on the Heat roster? Yeah, I think it's the the shooting. Uh, I think it's the the guys like like you mentioned, Duncan Robinson. Uh, you know, even Dragic can get hot uh, from the three-point line, you know. But I just, you know, I, I, I worry about um, – honestly, the guy I'm most worried about with Miami is Eric Spolstra. Uh, he has always seemed to put a really good scheme in front of Giannis, no matter the personnel that they've had there. And I think they have better personnel now uh, than they've had in a few years. And even, you know, back a few years ago when the Heat were kind of this middling team – Spolstra was able to to put guys in front of him. 
um, to defend. So I think it's weirdly going to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a tough defensive series. These are two really good defensive teams. Um, and if the heat can keep Giannis out of the paint and if, uh, if the bucks can slow down their shooters, it's, it might not be the, the high scoring type of game that we're used to seeing in the NBA these days. I think it's going to be a tough defensive series. Yeah, it's definitely, I am worried if Kyle Corder plays and Spolstra specifically runs plays to target him. That is my biggest fear. Yeah, I agree. Eric Spolstra being able to out-coach Bud is probably, I mean, I feel like it's going to happen, but that's definitely something I'm afraid of. Um, what about you, Adam? Yeah, the matchups are certainly concerning. I think Corver's a really interesting guy to watch. We, we all saw he was able to get play, obviously, in the first round. Uh, but we all know how he was basically yanked from the jazz rotation last year. Um, you know, and that was under Quinn Snyder, who was, you know, sort of a, in that, that Spurs coaching tree acolyte under Bud as well. Um, so I'm really curious to see how Bud handles that, particularly the, the rotation this time around. I, I think what I'm, I'm very interested to see how Bam Adebayo plays in a full series against Giannis, whether it's a, you know, he really is the kind of, Giannis stopper that people have anointed him as um, or if it's sort of a Al Horford situation like we got last year where granted Bam isn't you know certainly doesn't look as washed up as Al Horford did last year but it really took Giannis about one game to, to solve the the puzzle box that was Al Horford I'm curious if, if we're going to see a repeat of this year where it just takes him he might struggle in game one but then he kind of has the moves and, and counter moves that attack him better in game two. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Dan, is there anyone on the Bucks that you think is going to be the biggest X factor? Um, I think it's always Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue that. Uh, I think, you know, if, if he uh, – I mean, he's going to be so important defensively uh, running around stopping these shooters and stopping the, the point of attack. Um. But also offensively, I mean, if he can get going and, and he can get to the basket, um, you know, the Heat might have Bam Adebayo as a terrific defender, but they don't have a ton of other rim, prote- rim protectors. Um, so if Bledsoe can get past that first line of defense and get to the hoop, I mean, that's going to be super important for them. Um, and then just kind of the way the Heat play, uh, you know, is, is Lopez going to be a factor in – on the offenses, are they going to go to him down low to kind of when the offense gums up a little bit? Are they are they going to be able to do the uh, you know the space the floor splash mountain stuff with him? Uh, I think that's that's going to be. I mean, it's those two guys, and then you know if it all depends on you know kind of somebody from that next group that Connaughton, Divincenzo, uh, who George Hill bench group. Like if somebody gets hot, if somebody gets um, if somebody really starts playing well, I've not exactly been encouraged by the play of a lot of those guys. Um, I, except for George Hill, George Hill. I, I trust with my life on the court <laughs> outside, outside of him. I don't, you know, the rest of the guys can kind of come and go. True. Yeah. Marvin Williams for me, I think it's going to be that bench guy that I think he'll make a difference, especially if Giannis does get into early foul trouble. And we saw from game five, you know, Marvin hit timely threes. And I think that's going to be, the biggest thing is can these guys off the bench make timely contributions? We know George Hill is very capable of it. And we know in flashes, Dante DiVincenzo did it in the bubble. Pat, 
Connaughton, not in the bubble, but in the regular season. Pat Connaughton has done really well since he came back. So it'll be it'll be a challenge. And I guess, Adam, what do you think is your prediction for the series? Mm, I'm going Bucks in six, not to do a super cliche uh, call that actually calls back to the Heat series uh, so long ago. Um, but I think it's going to be Bucks in six. I, c- I could see them stumbling um, potentially out of the gate. Maybe we'll see what adjustments are made, but uh, I like Bucks and Six. Um, I also like Kelly Olynyk as um, Heat player. I, I'm going to hate the most by the end of the series. Oh yeah, <laughs> what about you, Dan? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's Bucks and Six. I think Spolster gets some two wins. I'm, I I want to say Bucks and Six as well, but I feel like I'm going to say Bucks and Seven. And there's going to be one game that Spolster completely outcoaches Bud and it's overwhelming. And there's another game that Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero are going to combine to go 12 of 18 from three and trash the Bucks. But then there's, I just feel like it's going to be a game where I, I'm still going to stick with Bucks and six, but I wouldn't be surprised if it went seven. Um, I just think Milwaukee's the more talented team. And I think Milwaukee not having to play in front of a Miami Heat crowd, which would be loud and potentially cause issues and you don't have to worry about that Miami nightlife. Um, I think you, you kind of, sp- you get spared of that. So yeah, I'll stick with bucks and six, but wouldn't be surprised if it went seven. So yeah, I think I that's do, really, I do think I, there's real opportunity for Giannis to go off in this series. You mentioned the, the out stuff. I don't think he's going to have a huge problem with him in a one-on-one matchup. And I think the one thing with the heat is I kind of touched on before they don't have that rim protector and the back line of defense. And I mean, some of the teams that have been most successful against Giannis have had, you know, a big wing defender. And then that back line of defense, you think about Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Gasol. Uh, so if odd is going on Giannis one-on-one, I'm extremely comfortable with that matchup. <laughs> if they're going to have to double and Giannis is going to have to move the ball and rely on uh, I don't know, just as an example, Eric Bledsoe shooting the ball from, <laughs> Uh, then I'm a little bit less comfortable. But if Giannis is Giannis is going to dominate anybody one-on-one. Yeah, that's also true. And I'm not worried about Kelly Olenek as a rim-protecting big. So that at least <laughs> eases my concerns. I'm just worried Kelly Olenek's going to do some kind of dirty play. But yeah, that is all we've got for today. Um, once again, I thank you, Dan Schaefer, for coming on. Adam, thank you as well. Riley, I hope your move is going as well as it can because we know moving sucks. But make sure to check out brewhoop.com um, to follow any stories that we're going up. Mitchell has been working a great job getting stories up. Riley will have his Monday morning media recap. Brian will have more of his Bucks film room coverage. Um, Dan, if people want to find you on Twitter, what would be what is your Twitter handle for them to look up? I'm at Dan R. Schaefer, and Schaefer is spelled S H A F E R. Uh, you can also find me at the Recombobulation area. I publish the newsletter on Substack. It is free to subscribe to get the newsletter in your inbox, uh, and there also is an option to become a paid subscriber to help grow this new publication that I'm working on. For sure. I am a paid subscriber and I I can vouch it is great content. And again, if you're really curious what's going on in Wisconsin, it's one of the best places to go. So with Adam and Dan, no problem. With Adam and Dan, I'm Kyle and we will see you next week.